on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today in our show, we're going to talk about, we have a little humor at the beginning because the second half of the show, I want to talk about something very serious. But beginning of the show, we're going to talk about, I called it climate alarmist humor. Uh, you'll enjoy this, plus a serious cash drop. We have a guest joining us in studio today, Dale Hulls. He's a candidate for Texas State Representative from House District 1. These are big races in Texas this year, the Texas legislature. He's in studio. Uh, next topic is the Weimar America. That was a title of an article that I want to tell you a lot about by Victor Davis Hanson. And finally, TDS, Trump Derangement Syndrome, goes WAPO mainstream. I really can't wait to tell you this one, too. And, of course, I tell you why these stories matter to you. On the first story, climate alarmist humor. You know, there was a uh, there is a conference ongoing right now um, in Europe, and planes are flying in. You know, these people who care deeply about not emitting too much CO2 are each flying around their own private jet. But hey, so they're flying around to go into this. Uh, it's actually a UN conference. Um, it's COP28 climate conference. It's underway in Dubai. But numerous of them flew into, uh, or, and wherever they had refueled, but landed in Munich, Germany. And I'm going to show you what the uh, landing strip looked like in Munich as these people got literally frozen to the tarmac. <laughs> Okay, yeah. The reason I wanted to share that with you is these people are complaining about CO2 emissions. And part of what, you know, the hypocrisy is overwhelming, one being they fly around in massive private jets. Numerous rich people fly around in individual private jets that, that burn mountains of CO2. And then they're going to a conference where they're going to talk about how quickly they would like to take away your right to drive your fossil fuel-driven uh, car, how quickly they need to create 15-minute cities so that you don't really ever travel at all. You lose your a constitutional right to travel because it's a part of freedom and, and liberty. Um, and they also want to talk about taking away your gas stove because, my gosh, you know, it's burning gas and we can't have that, you know, how we can't really keep on eating cows so much. They want to talk about limiting your freedom. 
as they have no limitations on theirs at all. And I found it just a bit ironic that their planes got literally frozen to the tarmac in Munich uh, on the way to complain about CO2 and rising temperatures. Now, I know the climate agenda people changed the name of their effort. They called it uh, global warming, and then they realized the warming data didn't bear out what they were saying. They said, okay, and second thought is climate change. No matter what happens, too hot, too cold, too much rain, too little rain, whatever it is, it's all caused by climate change. It's all-encompassing. But the agenda always is, as it is with the left, control over you and your freedom. That is the purpose of the climate change agenda. All of people at the top of the heap who are pushing the climate change alarmism, they understand there's not a crisis. They do understand. They banking on the fact that you don't understand, that you will not figure it out, that you'll continue to submit to whatever it is they do to take away your freedom. If you've missed past interviews in our show on this topic, I urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Past interviews include with Mark Morano, who's a brilliant uh, actual scientist who writes books about this. He, we flew him in twice to be on the show. Uh, and he lays out data about the simple fact that CO2 is not a bad thing. Actually, we need CO2. Uh, and the, the fact about how throughout long, long terms of Earth's history, we have proof that you can have low CO2 levels and high temperatures and, and low temperatures and high CO2. There's no correlation. Also, if you look back on our show, you can uh, find interview. I've had a couple of them with Jason Isaac of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Brilliant researcher making the same point. And this is one of the themes I want to hit over and over in the show today. It's astonishing how much leftists who want to take away your freedom, who simply their mission in life is to control you, they get away with garbage science. They get away with misleading, lying about issues of all kinds, in this case, including climate. And even though the data eventually always shows them to be wrong, it disproves their agenda, they don't care. They just keep on pushing and mostly people keep on submitting. And on the subject of how the left kowtows to the climate agenda, the Biden administration sent Kamala Harris over there. Uh, she's, you know, I'm sure had set remarks she had to make. But in, at this climate conference, this is, again, the it's called the COP28 Climate Conference. It's now underway in Dubai. It's the United Nations Conference. Uh, she, Kamala Harris, talked about America has now committed another $3 billion, B as in boy, I was going to do another B, but I won't do it, B as in boy, uh, of U.S. taxpayer money to the U.N. for the climate change agenda. She's promising money we don't have. We are massively in debt. Or are, we are just, we're spending money that this is funny money. is isn't even real money, but they're, they're committing $3 billion more to um, the climate change agenda. And they always manage to have a high fluting statement how very, very much they care. And everyone who won't go along with their climate agenda simply doesn't care like they do. She had one shot in there where she's ba basically uh, talking about how around the world, um, some people try to slow or stop our progress. Leaders deny climate science of all things. No, actually, the leaders are expressing where's the science, where's the data, and this is frustrating people pushing the climate change agenda. Well, I've the first five by saying this. I do find it a little bit amusing that the jets on the way to the Dubai climate conference got literally frozen to the tarmac in Munich in a time when they're claiming there's too much CO2. We can't have, we have to start eating bugs. We can't have cows because they emit CO2 and the world's going to burn up and we're all going to die because there is, there's too much heat and, and reality yet makes a fool of them. I also want to continue talking about how the Biden administration 
willing to spend another three, it's like funny money. It's like when you're playing Monopoly with your kids and they realize it doesn't matter. You can throw the money around, it has no consequence. This is how the Biden administration spends money. $3 billion. Just think, for example, if they use that to build the southern border wall. Just that. We'd be done. We'd have a border wall all over. I actually don't know how much a border wall costs, but I guess we could do a whole lot with that. But the Biden administration is, if anything else, committed to spending as much as they can, spending irresponsibly, and certainly spending it on a virtue signaling uh, effort like toward the UN climate change uh, agenda, which mostly has to do with just forced redistribution of wealth. That's what the UN climate agenda is. It's a forced redistribution of wealth from more productive countries to less productive countries. But they can't say that because because then people might not get behind it, so it's all due to climate change. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Our guest joining us today in the studio is Dale Holes. He's a candidate for Texas State Representative in HD1, House District 1. And the, I'm going to give the briefest of introductions to him and then just touch on a few issues uh, facing Texas and really what drive many conservative candidates who've chosen to run in a primary, um, which he is doing running in a primary against an incumbent. Um, but Dale and his wife, Mary Holes, um, they live on 50 acres in northeast Texas. That sounds really nice. 50 acres in northeast Texas. Um, they have three German shepherds. That also sounds nice. Um, he's an Air Force veteran, a former military contractor. He worked in the U.S. nuclear weapons complex at Savannah River site. He's also, within the state of Texas, been a recipient of a very um, uh, prestigious award. Uh, he was awarded in 2016 as a conservative leader by Empower Texans, uh, run by Michael Quinn Sullivan. He's a gentleman who was on the show a couple months ago talking about his film Texas Heist. Um, and he's, so he, our guest today, Dale Halls, has been very active as a Republican precinct chair, um, past president of a Tea Party, Clear Lake Tea Party, Clear Lake Area Republicans. Um, as I say, won that coveted award uh, from the Empower Texans, as well as a 2015 Champion of Freedom Award by Grassroots America, We the People, based in Tyler, Texas, led by Joanne Fleming. So he's a longtime committed conservative activist in the great state of Texas, now running for Texas State House, and we're going to find out why. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Dale Hulls. Thank Hello, you, Debbie. Sir. Hello. Nice to have you here. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to move my papers here, so I'm got him. I can make notes while you're talking. No but um, So you're running for Texas State House. Very quickly, our happy listeners, our primary is in March, March 5th. And this is an incumbent in the seat, and who else knows it's running. But Dale Holes is, you know, the organizations that like him, I like them. I like Grassroots America, We the People. I like Empower Texans, or now Texas Scorecard. So, and they like him, so I figure we're okay. So just to start with, overall, I mean, you're busy politically, I've been active politically for years in the really uh, well-informed activist conservative groups. Why are you running for Texas State House? Well, I thought that I would be in retirement right now. I retired from NASA in uh, December last year, and I've been trying to work with uh, the incumbent, uh, Gary Van Dever, for uh, about four years, trying to get him to champion the Republican Party uh, priorities that come out of our convention every couple years, and he just was not willing to do that. So I've been trying to find somebody to run against him. And as we got into April, I'm, I still had not found anybody that would wanted to run. My wife goes, Mary, she goes, why don't you just run yourself? You know what to do. And I go, I do. If I got your backing, I'll do it. She goes, you got my backing. Yeah. So here I am. 
Okay, that is actually wonderful when the family's on the same team and when the, the spouse and husband and wife is on the same, very, very important. I'm very blessed in our home. My husband loves what I do, loves supporting me. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, so Texas has many issues. I was telling you before we started, we've talked in our show quite a bit about the way the um, Texas House, unfortunately, has a, it's really a Democrat-selected Speaker of the House, massive control, controls the agenda, and it happens year after year. So we know, I'm sure you don't like that. You mentioned, when I asked you what issues were on your mind, uh, you mentioned Colony Ridge, and I have talked about that a bit, but uh, it's a border security issue and a, the Colony Ridge thing. So tell us what, what you know about that and what should the legislature do about it? Well, uh, border security has been one of my uh, priorities the whole time I've been an activist. I've been a Texas border volunteer for like 12 years. I've been out there on the ranch lines, the ranch roads, the fence lines, and the pipelines looking for illegals trying to get around the Falfurious checkpoint and working with Border Patrol. I've actually worked uh, right before I retired in McAllen, Texas at a Border Patrol processing facility as a federal volunteer so I could see for myself what was going on in Biden's processing centers and come out and tell people uh, and uh, conservative groups what was going on. Uh, What's going on in the processing centers? Uh, I got to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, you, you think about, you know, you get somebody in, you process them on their merits. That's not happening. While I was there, it was like the flavor of the month, or, excuse me, flavor of the week of who got released, who got sent back under Title 42. And it was all political groups and uh, which countries were in favor with the Biden administration at the time and which ones weren't. You know, uh, Venezuelans, for the most part, the time I was there, very protected. They were always allowed entry in until the last couple of weeks, and they weren't. You know, and it's, it went on like that. It was by uh, national groups, not people. Okay, I guess you would have no way of knowing why certain groups got favored in certain times. I would assume the Biden people like letting more socialists in, but what do I know? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's very curious actually, and it isn't doesn't sound consistent with the processing we would assume would happen under immigration laws, under our, uh, you know, where you have to f have a reason to, to be seeking asylum. Doesn't sound, I mean, you didn't see any of that going on there. Well, I saw a lot of where we, we would have a, a muster every day with the Border Patrol as a federal volunteer. We'd be in there with them. And uh, they would say, you know, the, the Nicaraguans, they had a, a free passage in the United States, Venezuelans for a while, um, Haitians. Anybody that the administration was trying to do uh, a public service for a, a, a asylum, you know, trying to uh, make their situation better. It was the countries like Honduras, Guatemala, um, El Salvador. They were always being targeted to be sent back. You know, I guess they're the poorest and weakest of the South American nations, so that they were being sent back all the time. It was just a hierarchy of what the administration was thinking at the time. But Border Patrol had no, no say-so in that whatsoever. Doesn't really sound consistent with their immigration laws either. So it doesn't no. sound like it's the right motive. Okay, so um, you know, I know we have a bunch of issues in the legislature, and I'm happy to talk about any of them um, because you know the conservatives have liked some things that happened in the last most legislative session. A lot of things that should have happened didn't. That's why we're having numerous endless special sessions. We might we could hit some of those, but I also want to talk about how hard it is to campaign uh, as a grassroots person when you don't have the backing of you know, like right now in Texas. We, I talked earlier about the House Speaker having so much control over the process, over money, uh, the current House Speaker, or who gets the money. And so when you have a primary challenger, you may have more people behind you, people who don't like what the legislature is doing and they don't like the incumbents' um, actions and votes, but the, the access to a pile of money, like 
the, like the status quo has, like the establishment has just a pile of money in Dade Phelan's hands and coming from lobbyists and such. So how do guys like you fund a campaign? Well, it's, it's pretty hard. I mean, when I started this race, I started uh, 200000 to nothing. And that was $200,000 where it is in the campaign kitty of uh, my opponent, the incumbent. And uh, he got $54,000 from the speaker in the last campaign cycle. So that's not really, I mean, that to me is like buying a vote in the Texas House. I would think uh, ethics reform would cover that and make that illegal from that type of thing. Um, as for, I don't run with CEOs. I don't run with corporation presidents, uh, owners of businesses. That's just not me. I've been a public servant my whole life. Uh, I've been a grassroots activist, and I've been working uh, in the legislature and uh, other local communities trying to make things better. So I'm not, I don't have that built-in resource. I'm not a businessman uh, that can, I can just go out there and lay my hand on 10,000 here, 20,000 there, et cetera. I've worked my tail off since the end of April just to get to the $50,000 mark. You know, and remember, my opponent started out at 200000 that's how hard it is. I get most of mine for small donations. I've got one, one donor that is, uh, has contributed very well to my campaign, but that's just one. I hear all the time about how you know, the business leaders and the, the high conservatives that own uh, corporations and such want to see a change in Texas. Well, if they don't support guys like me and others, and where plenty of us are running this time around, we don't have, you know, it's hard for us. We have to go out directly to people. I do my campaigning old school. We go out door to door with surveys. Uh, we're, we're doing postcard mailers, you know, trying to touch people again. We're trying to get a mailer out in uh, January to start taking on the air war that my opponent, the incumbent, is doing. He's already put out like eight different mailers, you know, uh, to us, you know, trying to sway the, the district over to him. But the problem is he has a record. And that record is opposed to what the House, uh, what my district believes in. And we're making that case slowly but surely. We win if we get our message out to enough people. So that's, that's where we are right now. It's just, it's hard to go through those resources. I've worked with a, a consultant, one of Ken Paxton's, Ken Paxton's consultants. I made over a thousand donor calls across Texas, uh, just calling up uh, cold calling donors that uh, have a record of, uh, big donations, $500 and up. And, uh, you know, I managed to raise out of those three months about $10,000 of cold calling. That's not in my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm not a, as a federal employee, I never had to deal with money all that much because I was not allowed to. Yeah, federal employee working with NASA, you're saying? Yes, ma'am. Okay. It is actually the big difference, and you're right, connections make all the difference for candidates. If you have a, uh, just a slew of people who are wealthy, who are business owners, who are on, 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 you know, signed up to support you, they, they can quickly accumulate right. you know, $200,000. Just isn't that, that much to do. But when you're a grassroots person, it's much, much harder. It does actually call out the idea, though, that people who are active in the grassroots, even if they could not themselves make a significant donation, uh, you, you do help candidates like you if you're a grassroots person and you actually either work with the campaign, knock on doors, hold an event in your home, tell your friends. I mean, that the power, that ripple effect of people who really care telling others is one counter you have because a lot of the really more establishment people, they don't have as many 
people surrounding them who just love what they're doing. They have people in power who love what they're doing, but they really don't. And so that, but you know, the, the money raising is, is very, very challenging. I would just tell you for our listeners, I think, can you put the Chiron back up for a second? please, Emilio. Uh, so your campaign, this, we're speaking with Dale Halls, and his campaign, he's a candidate for Texas State Rep, HG1, and it, his last name is H-U-L-S. I've been typing it I just I this morning incorrectly for a long time. Holes in the house. Yeah. <laughs> H-U-L-S in the house dot com. Uh, these are the way that people like you can get uh, people donating. So so it's a, re, it's a reform-minded grassroots campaign, harder to get donations. And then you recently, you were telling me before we started, about the fact that somebody is already starting negative uh, push polling. Uh, and I'd love to have you describe what that is and, and what you learned was being push polled. Yeah, then- well, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a challenger. I'm a grassroots candidate, and uh, but we work hard. I knew we were behind the ball. I know we'll never get as much funding as the uh, incumbent has. So our focus of our campaign was to go out there and do the work. And we've got the only real ground game in the district uh, running for the office here. However, we must be very effective because before Thanksgiving, we I started getting calls back from some of my supporters saying, hey, I just got a survey. And they would tell me about it and they said, it starts out as a national survey, who you like for president, who, you know, senator, et cetera. And it gets down to the state representative. And then they start asking questions about the incumbent. You know, uh, are you happy with his performance? Do you like what he's done uh, on the budget, uh, the property tax, uh, initiatives that have been uh, put out on the ballot. And those were the type of questions he's getting. Uh, There's one other potential runner uh, in there and they were asking sort of neutral questions about them. And then they get to me and they go, one of the questions was, would it surprise you in six months to find that Dale Hole's campaign was financed by dark money? I'm like, what? (laughs) And then they would go on to another benign question and then they come back and say, how would you feel after six months finding out that Dale Hole's uh, supporters were supporting Hamas also. And I'm talking to, to the guy who's talked to me. I'll go, where is that coming from? And, and To be very clear, these are both completely outrageous, preposterous, false claims. Every I dollar mean, I've got has been from a person uh, with an address, not dark yeah. money, no packs, none whatsoever. Yeah, that is so telling because, number one, it tells you your opponent's a little bit worried about you. Oh, yeah. uh, and it also tells they can't. That he's not attacking, saying, "Well, you know, I voted X, and you shouldn't vote for the, for Dale Holes because he might vote Y." He's not talking issues or merit. He's talking what issue will resonate with people to say, "Oh, well, if that's true, then I'm then I'm done with him." He's looking for what dirt will work. Hey, you know, I'm I, I'm not really a politician. I'm just somebody who wants to do well. I want to go to take my experience and my knowledge to Austin and do what's right to stand in the gap against everything we see, the overspending, the lack of border security, the lack of education reform. In fact, on my my shirt right here, it lists Christian as the top thing on on me right here. And when they're attacking me as a Hamas supporter, (laughs) I mean, that is so, you know, they're trying to set a negative narrative in people's mind when when they make those polls. So, yeah, I'm over the target. And I see where they're coming from, but anybody who knows me, who talks to me, who looks at my record online, yeah. they'll know that that's not true. It is truly amazing. I mean, I guess that whole you know line people say, well, you know, you're uh, taking virus, you must be over the target. That's supposed to be like reassuring, but it's actually not because no. the, the, the uh, you know fire isn't that much fun. Okay, so when you uh, are down there, if you were to uh, prevail in, in this race, I, uh, you've mentioned border security. That'd be a priority. What other like 
three or four issues are your real priorities? Well, one is government ethics. You know, I mentioned earlier about uh, my opponent getting uh, $54,000 from the speaker, uh, basically to buy his vote and his loyalty, uh, which caused him to uh, support Democratic chairs in uh, House committees, uh, also impeach Attorney General Ken Paxton. You know, these things are loyalty votes out of the speaker for uh, my opponent. And, you know, we need to have ethics reform that would say, hey, that should be illegal. A speaker, a committee chair, or a committee co-chair should not be able to give to a campaign of an incumbent or a challenger in a House election. So those are the type of reforms I do. I'm also looking at going back to the border security uh, legislation we had, uh, HB 20, in a regular session. While it wasn't perfect, it was probably the best piece of border security legislation I've ever seen. They never went back to that. In four different sessions, they've not brought that bill back up, and that one should have been passed. It was killed with a Democrat point of order. And then finally, I do have my own opinions on uh, education reform. You know, school choice, I support completely. I, I believe in parental uh, choice. But there are so many other aspects of Texas education that needs to be fixed. And I think myself, guys like Brent Money, who is uh, challenging for a seat, we, we are looking at it from a different perspective, from a, a business and an engineering point of view to say, how do we fix these problems? On education, how do you fix the problems, meaning what exactly, content of the curriculum or well, what, okay. what kind of things? The way I look at it is, number one, you know, I break education down to you know, unions, school administrators, teachers, parents, and children. And uh, we focus a lot of our legislation down in Austin on the unions and the school administrations. They do very little for teachers. They do nothing for parents, and the children are just a byproduct. So they're not even really considered. You know, so I, my reforms would be centered more towards teachers, parents, and students. One of the things I think we need to do, and I had this when I was growing up, is have teachers in charge of classroom discipline, totally in charge of it. Now, there can be uh, uh, checks and balances on that, of course, but it should be the teacher who rules the classroom. Teachers should have religious exemptions, you know, so they're not have forced to teach things they don't believe in, you know, like CRT or uh, LGBTQ plus agenda. They should be able to say, no, I'm not going to teach that and teach something else. Yeah, you know, um, I thought Texas, I, I don't follow close enough to know, but I thought Texas had tried to take CRT out of the public school <laughs> curriculum. Now, I'll say, you can take it apart as a, take it as a class, say, if you were going to hold a class with CRT written on the board and talk right. about it, you can't do that. But you, the, the thinking behind CRT, critical race theory, has already invaded into math textbooks and all sorts of textbooks. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process to, to cull it out. Yeah, you get into a, text, a math textbook and they'll... They'll phrase the math word problem in woke terms, and, and, it will, you know, and that's what they teach the kids. Why else do we have vast swaths of American young adults and children supporting Hamas, terrorist organization? Because oh, they've been brainwashed into that. We're going to talk about that later today. <laughs> From yeah. multiculturalism that is promoted by our school system. We need to get back to traditional values. I, I, like, I personally like a classical education, you know, where they teach... Uh, you know, grammar, uh, logic, and rhetoric. Yep. You know, and uh, people where they can take in new ideas and express them and have a firm foundation on what they believe in rather than just repeating back something they've heard. Sounds great. Sounds great. So, um, Dale Holes, if people want to help your campaign, um, if you could, um, you know, one more time, if you put that Chiron up, I would so appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it's Holes in the House. It's really cute, by the way. H-U-L-S, holesinthehouse.com. I assume people go there. They can donate. 
Yes. They can sign up to volunteer. You must need door knockers, yes. right? Door knockers um, and paper pushers. I mean, people will send stuff out. You need all sorts of volunteers. And, you know, there is one thing I, I had, uh, you know, someone approached me recently talking about how Republicans have traditionally felt like when we run campaigns, we're so focused on the merits and principles that we assume everyone who gets on the campaign, they don't need pay, they're doing a love of America. And, and the Democrats pay everybody. They pay door knockers, they pay mm -hmm. poll workers. And so they get more people. It can give the impression that there's more energy in the left. When I fact, think, in fact, the energy is more on our side, but we don't pay people. So, but you, we don't have the money and we don't, most people, you know, your campaign wouldn't. So you need volunteers. And the thing is, you know, when people, I tell you, Dale, I, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I do a lot of public speaking and I uh, speech over the weekend in Fort Worth. And, you know, the uh, questions often center on at the end, Tell me something I can do. Tell me something I can do. And I, I'll run through a litany of things. But one thing is, pick one candidate that you really like, someone who's principled, whose values you agree with, and you and you, they seem to be viable. And just it, the candidates need someone, not just you know their husband or wife, but they need other people supporting them throughout the whole thing until you get to the primary day and to the general too. Yeah, my volunteers are great. I love those people. They're out there, they're working you know, two, three, four times a week trying out to go out there door knocking. I have a, a group of uh, ladies who will do postcards for me. They'll handwrite postcards that I, I signed each and every one and we send out to the people whose homes we visited. Those things are all great, but you know, one of the things that we're talking about is my name may not be on everybody's ballot, but you know what, you can still vote for me. You can give whatever you think. If, you can, if I can win your trust, if you think I am who I am, then I, I would appreciate your support, no matter where you live in the they state. They can endorse on your website, and they can Absolutely. donate. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, actually, endorsements are also a big thing, too. I mean, if you endorse somebody, you know, you might think, well, what difference does my opinion make? But if you get a significant number of endorsements, especially people in the correct jurisdiction, oh, that could be from anywhere, uh, you start to send a message, and it's something you can say in your campaign. I have whatever it is, you know. 4,000 endorsements or whatever the number would be, it sends a message, oh, people paying attention are endorsing him. This is also all by itself very helpful. Right, and, and I do collect endorsements and you know sometimes I'm a little lax because the campaign gets a little overwhelming and getting all those in, but you know, recently I've gotten Mays Middleton's, uh, Senator Mays Middleton's endorsement. Oh, I've good. got the endorsement of Kathy Adams, a former RPT chair. I've got the endorsement of Alma Jackson, a vice chair from the RPT. And uh, I've also got Ken Paxson's uh, endorsement. You know, and there's many more coming. It's just, you know, timing, waiting on their campaigns to uh, let them announce. So we're doing very well on that. And I also have regular people, precinct chairs, you know, yeah. anybody who says, Dale, I, I, I like what you're saying. You can put me down as endorsement. Yes, their endorsement is as important as Ken Paxson's to me. I mean, I get, I've had big donations. I've had an $8 donation. I'm just as proud of that as anything else. I love it. Dale Halls, uh, one more time with that Chiron. I'm going to, sorry, Emilio, I'm bugging you today. But I do urge our listeners, we have, we're trying, between, I'm trying between now and March 5th to have numerous, not every primary challenger, but candidates I think would be really quali quality uh, servants in the Texas um, House. So this is one, Dale Halls, and again, he's candidate for HD1, House District 1. Uh, and so Halls in the House, so a single L, H-U-L-S in the house.com. You can find him on Twitter and Facebook at um, Halls in the house.com and you know this is people say what can I do I'm so concerned about America you know I'll say no one person is going to save everything even if you get 
you know, a Republican president and, 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 you know, the White House and the Congress and the Senate and Texas legislature, you know, it's still, there are a lot of issues to go on, and the fight is really, the ground troops are massively important. Well, and let me add to that one last thing is, um, you know, it doesn't take that many challengers who really believe who will be Spartans and stand in the gap against the Speaker and his Democratic cronies to make a difference and change the culture in the House. If we had 10 real Republicans that were fearless and not afraid of the Speaker, HB 20, our, our great border security bill, would have passed the House yeah. and passed the Senate, and we would not be where we are today. We could only get six Republicans who would challenge the Speaker's ruling on uh, over, uh, killing the uh, HB 20 border security legislation. I intend to be one of those 10 or more that will fight on the floor of the House to bring back conservative values and legislation to Texas. Yeah, by bringing, by getting a speaker actually chosen by the Republican majority. Not yeah, maybe. And, yeah, and that, that may, because they, they have a playbook, it's hard to overcome, but we can start taking it back with small numbers, you know, because people often, when I call up, they say, you know, well, what can you do? You're just one guy. And I go, well, you know, it doesn't take that many of us right. to actually stand on principle and values right there on the House floor and force these votes that the speaker protects his more liberal members, Republicans, from having them take the votes on. Absolutely wonderful. Dale Holes, I thank you for driving in. I know it was a bit of a drive from your home. Thank you for coming in. No thank you for running for Texas State House. Um, and I hope really you get lots of people checking your website out today. And I uh, wish you just all the best and thank you for coming in. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank Good you. to have you. Okay, my friends, I had two other issues today. I said at the start, I'm going to do a fairly heavy topic now, and um, it's on really the rise in anti-Semitism in America, but it is premised off an article I mention often, often in this show, Victor Davis Hanson, uh, one of the country's, in my view, just premier writers, and he wrote an article called Weimar, like W-E-I-M-A-R, America. And I think it was on American Greatness first, and then it, it published other places, but there's been a lot of commentary about the rise in anti-Semitic events in America. So I basically want to hit three points. The actual examples of the rise of anti-Semitic uh, actions. I mean, not just, you know, someone said a bad word in an elevator someplace, but serious, serious things. So there's the rise in anti-Semitism. Um, and then there is the um, astonishing ignorance in this country, just astonishing ignorance about the Palestinian situation and people who think they are signaling they're on the high road, they understand them more, they're on top of things because they support uh, the plight of the Palestinians, they want to stand up for the Palestinian people, um, and they think they're, they're virtue signaling, they think they're actually saying something intelligent or good about themselves. So that is, so it is the, the concept of rise of anti-Semitism, uh, the, the moral idiocy that surrounds this pro-Hamas um, pro-Palestinian um, advocacy in this country. And the final thing is some points that um, Victor Davis Hanson makes in his article regarding the cultural uh, elements in America that have gotten us to where we are. Well, let's start with where we are. So in America, just little examples. Um, I guess I didn't send this picture uh, to Emilio, but there was a, um, in, in the neighborhood near where we used to live, my husband and I moved up to more to North Texas recently, but where we lived for 22 years, uh, there are several large synagogues in the area, and one of them is a very large and very near, it's, a, it's actually the intersection of two really busy roads in, in Dallas. And so this past weekend, as uh, people attending uh, Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday, so they're at Sabbath services on Saturday, 
they had a crowd of people outside waving the Nazi flag. Now, it's not illegal. I guess it's a, an expression of your First Amendment rights. The, the synagogue called the police, and the police came, and the people waving the Nazi flag, so, you know, they were, the police quote was, excuse me, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't break any law. I mean, they were peaceful. They didn't try to enter the synagogue property. They didn't try to get into the synagogue. But the, the mindset that would be, you think that it is justified, you think there is anything, a shred of decency about the concept of waving a Nazi flag anywhere in America, let alone outside of a synagogue. And that was just one incident. Um, I, I had a picture, I think I left it at home. But another one, another incident very recent was an anti-Semitic mob just essentially invaded on, descended on an Israeli-owned restaurant in Philadelphia. So there's an actual Israeli citizen, I mean, American citizen who is Israeli, um, who owns a very popular restaurant. And this mob just basically descended on his uh, restaurant. His name is Michael um, Solomonov. He has a falafel restaurant in Philadelphia, which is very popular with a lot of people, uh, not just Jewish people. People love it. Anyway, um, they they were demanding a boycott of Jewish goods. Um, this guy the, who owns a restaurant is the chef also. He's a James Beard agency winning chef. So he's a famous chef. He's a very good chef. And these people who are anti-Semitic, who, who just, I mean, it's the evil of our time, the anti-Semitism, but they showed up at his restaurant, disrupted people, yelling and chanting, Goldie, Goldie, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. Okay, this ties into what the point is about um, the ignorance, just profound ignorance in our country regarding the Palestinians and Hamas and all of that, which we'll get to in just one moment. The other incident I wanted to mention, and I could do this for the rest of the show, but the other incident I want to mention that is also just staggering because it shows you how high up in our government this anti-Semitism has been legitimized is there was an interview over the weekend, uh, I think it was over the weekend, uh, with CNN's Dana Bash. And if, you know, if anyone says CNN, you know, radical leftists, they hate Republicans, they hate conservatives, they hate America, you know how leftists are. But she, Dana Bash, had on her show Representative uh, Pramila, uh, and I believe her last name is Jayapal, but she is a, a member of Congress. She's a U.S. member of Congress from the state of Washington. She is Muslim. She was being interviewed by um, uh, Dana Bash over the uh, ongoing um, situation with Hamas and Israel. And, and Dana Bash asked her, you know, at least can you condemn the rape as a form of warfare, rape as a form of brutality engaged in by the Hamas um, troops against Israeli citizens. And I have not, I wouldn't think of showing those on my show. I wouldn't even think of reading out loud to you the accounts, the accounts I have read. But I will tell you that this is not just one rogue Hamas soldier deciding to rape a woman. This is the concerted public line guys up to uh, to rape a woman they have a woman uh without much more detail stand, having stripped naked a jewish woman stripped she's in the streets she's being serially raped by a bunch of hamas people and this is just i mean the grotesqueness i won't go into more detail except to say it is unspeakable and this is going on in the as part of the attack part of the Hamas attack on Israel. And these accounts have been verified. This is part of what Elon Musk, when he went over to Israel, what he watched. And yet, yet, this member of Congress, 
member of Congress, uh, Pramila Jayapal, Jayapal, we say her name, um, was asked about Hamas's use of rape as a weapon of war against Israeli women. She could barely, barely stand to admit that it was a problem. She could barely stand it. All she wanted to pivot back to, but the Palestinians are victims, and I love Hamas, and I love Palestinians. She could barely bring herself to say, okay, okay, maybe that, that's kind of a bad thing. By the way, just so you know, all, the, all of you out there think, well, moral equivalency, probably Israeli soldiers do this. No, no, actually they don't. There is no moral equivalency here. The Israeli soldiers who are going into Hamas, going into, excuse me, going into the uh, Gaza Strip, trying to clean out the filth and evil that is Hamas, they're not doing this. They're not doing this. This rape as a form of torture, humiliation, a weapon of war, an act of war is being carried out and has historically been carried out by people motivated by Islamic Jihad, most especially Hamas. So back to this. So she's interviewed. She, can, she finally said, okay, okay, it's a bad thing. It wasn't exactly her language. Um, I mean, it was, it, what, what occurred, what was so interesting was Dana Bash is just trying to get to make uh, this uh, representative uh, Hayapal, Jayapal, we say her name, you know, trying to get her admit that, you know, at least this part is really bad. At least we all can condemn Hamas engaging in rape as a form of war, as a, as a weapon or act of war. And, and even Dana Bash finally had to interrupt and just speak up and said, you know, because, because the answer of this Jayapal was, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I think what we always talk about the impact of war on women. I mean, she tries to pivot into saying, in fact, I remember 20 years ago, I did a petition around the war in Iraq. Dana Bash had to cut in, interrupt her and say, are you taught, we are talking about October 7th in Israel and Hamas in massive, brutal raping of women as a form of torture, humiliation, act of war. And she said, and she finally had to say, okay, okay, absolutely, I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned. And, and Dana Bash is saying, you know, specifically against women. And finally, oh yeah, the rape, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Pivots right back then to talking about poor Palestinians. And so this is a person who votes in the United States Congress. And the moral equivalency thing, the thing I said at the start, I wanted to try to hit these three points. And I do want to get back to the, the really, I thought, insightful things that were written by Victor Davis Hanson. But this, um, excuse me, this battle ongoing in America over, you know, we have pro-Palestinian uh, protesters who are violent, who are threatening public school teachers. A, a public school teacher in New York City had to lock herself in a building to not be attacked by Hamas-supporting students. Palestinian supporting students. We have protests around the country where students in otherwise sane campuses are doing the chant about basically killing all the Israelis. That's a sea to shining, shining sea. That's what they're talking about when they're doing that chant. They're saying, kill all Israelis and the Jewish state. So this, this uh, interview I mentioned with Dana Bash having on uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, um, even the other leftists in the media, Scarborough and Brzezinski, got into it. They played this clip on their show of, of this congresswoman just saying, like, what, what are, we ki are you kidding here? You can't even get a member of Congress who is 
presented with the evidence that many Americans know about, you can't get her to even say, well, maybe the rape thing is kind of a bad thing, could hardly get her to say it, so even other leftists. But I'm going to turn back, though, to so what's happened. So people have in this country a profound level of ignorance about the situation in Israel. And I've talked about it in the show before, but, you know, if you get a big map, we've done it before, we have a big map of the, the overall region of the world. Israel is a little tiny, like, like as big as a, you know, a raindrop, little tiny speck of, of Israel, and surrounded by massive, massive countries that are all Muslim-majority, uh, all enforce Sharia law in varying degrees, all hate Israel, all want to destroy Israel. They are all driven by Islamic Jihad to hate Israel, to hate Jews. This is what happens over there. And then within this tiny little raindrop-sized speck that is Israel, the Gaza Strip is a tiny little bit of that. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, you know, uh, I can't even depict for you how tiny that is, and yet the Islamic majority countries surrounding Israel are obsessed with the idea of just complaining about the treatment of the people who live in the Gaza Strip. Again, there's no such thing as a Palestinian national, you know, national or national origin. It's not a race. It's not an ethnicity. It's not a national origin. It's not like Norwegians and Greeks and Italians and Germans. Palestinian is a word taken from a map nearly uh, because it's, it, anciently portions of that country were referred to as Palestine. The people there are not ethnically Palestinian. They don't, there's no such thing as a Palestinian race or ethnicity. The pe people living in Gaza Strip who are Muslim, who are Arab, are mostly Jordanian. They are of Jordan descent. They are Jordanians. Jordan, king, the king in Jordan recently said, we're not taking them in, uh-uh, no way. And so, because they have, they have developed a culture of violence, they elected Hamas as their government. I'm getting around to saying, in America, it is a disgrace that, in, that students in our country, in major universities, are so ignorant, are so just on fire with hysterical fear and, and, and concern over the Palestinians, when every, every all of the equities, all of the fairness, is on the side of Israel. Israel drops leaflets from the sky before they're going to come in. We're going to have to come in and try to clean out the tunnels that Hamas built and Hamas dug under schools and dug under hospitals to hide weaponry and ammunition. We've got to come clean it out. Israel warns the people, please get out, get out of the way. We don't want to hurt civilians. I'm, I'm, I'm getting at, I mean, the ignorance that you must possess in order to be in the streets in America marching in favor of protecting the Palestinians and condemning Israel, it is as, it is breathtaking, utter idiocy, moral idiocy, felony, stupid. That's what the facts are. I know everyone, we have a, a just yearning in our country to always try to say, well, the two sides of every question. Not really, actually, in this. There aren't. The people living in the Gaza Strip elected Hamas, they, and they, there are many innocent people living there. There are children, of course, and older people who are not able to move around much. There are some innocent people living in the Gaza Strip who are Muslim Arabs, but they are victims of Hamas. Hamas is the one to point a finger at. If you want to say these poor civilians, 
blame Hamas. Hamas hides among them. They hide their soldiers behind schools, behind hospitals, behind children. There's, I mean, the, the concept that we in this country have that level of moral idiocy is simply breathtaking. Okay, one more thing I want to hit on this today, because it had to do with uh, what I mentioned when I started this whole um, uh, spiel here, um, was about the idea that the... Um, that Victor Davis Hanson wrote this article, and he made some, he's running through a series of anti-Semitic events uh, in, our, in our country, which are simply breathtaking. You, you can't believe, I mean, after saying never again, never again, we're, we're getting there, never again is here. But he, he made two kind of political points, um, which, and he talks about in this article, I do urge you to read this article. If you go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down list of links, I linked to this article, which I strongly urge you to read. But one thing that Victor Davis Hanson, the point he's making, making is how, you know, how lunatic things are in the world. Let me tell you this one little fact, United Nations, you know, insanely pushing climate change uh, garbage, climate change alarmism, foolishness. They also, United Nations appointed Iran a murderous, theocratic, repressive, abusive, Sharia law enforcing government. United Nations appointed Iran, and here he calls them a theocratic, terrorist supporting government that kills dissidents and takes hostages. That country, Iran, is now the chair of the UN Human Rights Council Social Forum. Seriously. They actually chose, of all the countries in the world where people have some rights, where women have equal rights, women can be in the streets without wearing a burqa, and they can live their lives and go to school and do what they want to do. The UN has chosen, chose Iran to head that up. If you, and so, but the other points that, that Victor Davis Hanson made, and I do want to get to one more story, but he made the point that, you know, we have two new elements. We've had, you know, Middle East battles, uh, unfortunately, for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, they're at it again. But it's really important this era to understand who's causing the problem. It's not Israel. But in any case, two great points that he made that, that explain how America's culture could be so deluded into thinking that we should be sympathetic of the Palestinians and be uh, condemning of Israel. And so he makes a point that this DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, racist doctrine, and that's what it is, is utterly racist. DEI is a racist doctrine that its premise is everyone you look at, everyone you meet, you assign them a skin color, presume national origin or race, and then you judge them based on that. That's essentially race. That's all it is. It is a racist premise, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, it has all the happy talk language around, well, we're just trying to teach people to understand each other. No. DEI is an intentional weapon to destroy America's culture, an intentional weapon to destroy America's commonality, the greatness of America, because America was founded on the ideas of forget about race, ethnicity, national origin, ancestry. We in America, we're about the idea of all men created equal, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, and we're about our identity, our national identity is the ideas of America. It's not skin color, it's not race, it's not ethnicity, it's not national origin. It's the ideas of America. We have not always perfectly implemented them, and we've worked over time in our country, uh, but this is what America is, the real America. DEI is a garbage doctrine, very a, a, a malicious doctrine, very much intended to sow seeds of dissent. It teaches young people to look around them 
and judge people based on their skin color. And so it is very easy for a mindset tainted by that evil kind of thinking to say, oh, Palestinian victim, Israel bad. I mean, it it plays into what the left is doing in these lies about what this Palestinian situation is, what the situation is, Gaza Strip. So his point in, in, in this discussing how America is too much too similar to the growing um, anti-Semitic Germany was, and at that point it was the Weimar Republic, he's saying the DEI doctrine has made America worse. It has caused, it's enabled people who want to fight, uh, want to divide, it's enabled them to to convince other people, you know, young skulls full of mush, as Limbaugh used to call them, to think the only way to think about any issue is just look at race, ethnicity, skin color, national origin. That's all you have to know. You don't have to know the merits, the facts, the reality. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know that. So this, because this thinking has gotten so rooted in America, says Victor Davis Hanson, it makes it easier for the anti-Semites to gain followers. Second point he makes is not just America, but the entire... Uh, Western nations in our world um, have had an epidemic, his term, epidemic of immigration into Western nations from countries where people don't understand the Western civilization concept of we don't judge you by your skin color, we don't judge you by your race and ethnicity and national origin. Many places in the world still live by that ancient, ugly, dark thinking that basically says all humanity is, is a bunch of people divided into race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color. That's, you know, how we think about people. And, and so in those countries, you know, you have, you, you had obviously many wars fought over the Greeks and the Turks, the Turks and the Greeks, and all sorts of other places around the world. Well, and, and Western civilization got it right, got it better, lifted our thought up out of that. But when we have had the combination of DEI infecting our system in America, combined with bringing many, many more people who come to our country and don't really learn what America is at the deepest level, that we are about respecting the individual, respecting the individual and his or her right to live in God-given freedom. We don't have enough people in America seeing that and and um, coming around to um, acknowledging that. So I want to, um, you know, that we'll talk much more about that, but I really want to talk, uh, make clear about how what it is that we're facing in this anti-Semitism era. It is intentional cultivation of division uh, by the left. It is intentionally sown in ignorance in the American population about um, the Gaza Strip. And we are facing a very dangerous time in America. It was a dangerous time in terms of the rise of anti-Semitism. I could have spent the rest of the show and still not be done telling you all their instances, including one was in Maryland, by the way. Maryland, a public school teacher, she's actually a, a public school teacher. She holds a, a, a official positions in the school administration, and they just suspended her for a spate of anti-Semitic things she posted. And they were not just anti-Semitic, but they were based on the, you know, felony stupid level understanding of what's happening in Israel. So at least the Maryland is in Montgomery County, Maryland. They did suspend this teacher. But I'm getting at that if you want to be a patriot for America, you want to do something, try just 
teaching truth about what's happening in the Middle East. Try sharing articles with people who don't have any idea what the truth is. We can talk more about that, but I want to hit one more topic, because I think as we get close to uh, the elections, and now let me just tell you that um, the first primary next year uh, is, is going to be happening in January. In, uh, it's a caucus, but it's the same thing. Primary is a caucus in Iowa. It's on January 15th. It's 41 days away. And so I want to call your attention to an article that ran in the uh, Washington Post. And uh, or uh, was it Limbaugh called it Washington Compost? Anyway, the Washington Post article, T I called this segment TDS, which is Trump Derangement Syndrome. TDS goes WAPO mainstream. I want to explain to you how not only bizarre, but, but dangerous this is. So this was an article that the, Wa the uh, Wa Washington Post chose to run. It was a column by Robert Kagan, who happens to be married to State Department official Victoria Newland, and he wrote an op-ed um, in Washington Post uh, in which he's talking about how close Trump is to securing President Trump to securing the Republican nomination. And he writes, I mean, he's actually talking, and the reason I'm bringing this up is this is how the left functions in this country. They use projection, the idea of accusing the other side of exactly what they're doing. So in this article, also listed on our website, this article, this guy's writing, let's stop wishful thinking. And he's talking about Trump's obviously going to win the primary. He's saying there's a clear path to dictatorship in the United States. It's getting shorter every day. In 13 weeks, Trump will have locked up the Republican nomination. In, in the Real Clear Politics most recent poll, Trump leads his nearest competitor by 47 points. So he's, he's saying basically, he's saying Trump is going to win the nomination, and he's saying he sees we're on the path to dictatorship. And you know, I'm going to have to cut off this because I've got to do my closing why it matters to you, but I want to tell you, this guy and what he writes, he's legitimizing violence against Trump, against Trump supporters. He's legitimizing violence against um, you know, against Trump, really, in particular. And I'll tell you that the projection thing, when you talk about dictatorship, he's saying Trump is going to make America into a dictatorship. We live in America right now where the government is weaponized by the Biden administration against the American people. The rule of law has been flaunted. The January 6th prisoners continue to be outrageously treated. We have the, the federal government openly openly complicit in manipulating what you can read, what you can learn about. They have Department of Homeland Security impacting social media, encouraging what to say. There was a whole other story I can't even get to today about how long this kind of censorship has been going on. I'm getting at, we're living in this tyranny, this dictatorship that this guy is saying Trump's going to bring. And so I'll close by saying, we'll talk about this more, but it's really important to get a grasp on, fully see as well as you can, how far down the path toward tyranny Joe Biden has taken this country. How far down the path toward destruction, loss of freedom, Joe Biden has taken this country. The left is hysterical, hysterical about this. And they, but they like it. I'm saying they like it. They're worried that if Trump gets back in office, their gig is up, their game is up. They will be exposed. He will clean out many federal agencies. They see him as a threat to their seizing power in America, which would happen under the Biden, uh, he who was, 
you know, occupies the White House. He did not win the election, but he occupies the White House. They see they see Trump as a big enough threat. They see that they are just going to go hog wild trying to characterize him as dangerous when what's actually happening is that it is Biden administration and all the leftists controlling Biden, Obama and whoever else, they're the ones engaged in the tyranny. They're threatening or telling you that President Trump threatens. It's the most amazing example of projection ever. You know, a lot more to say, but as happens every time, uh, we are almost out of time, and I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started a day today talking about more climate scam adventures. Uh, private, <clears throat> private jets scheduled to fly to Dubai conference on climate change frozen onto the Munich. I, I find that funny. I was in Munich this year. It's a lovely airport. Fusen, uh, frozen onto the Munich tarpac, uh, tarmac. Kamala Harris announces the U.S. gift of $3 billion more billion to the U.N. climate fund. There is no climate crisis. Please understand that there is no climate crisis. Watch America Can We Talk interviews with Mark Morano and Jason Isaac. Read the book's data yourself. We the people must understand phony climate crisis is simply a tool to subjugate the masses, what they can eat, where they can live, whether they can travel, to take down the sovereignty of America and all other nations in favor of global government. The U.S. is a $33 plus trillion in debt country does not have a spare three billion to give to anyone or anything but if it had such a surplus three billion would be better spent on a border wall not un silliness fear-mongering is a tactic of tyrants for controlling people good news is fear surrounding climate change is breaking and the weimar america anti-Semitic incidents proliferating across the USA, um, Nazi flag-waving outside a Dallas synagogue, mob gathers around Philadelphia restaurant owned by a Jewish man, teachers' union member proudly denounces Jews and teaches children it's okay to do so, New York Jewish teacher attacked by students. Victor Davis Hanson notes the parallels to the emergence of the German Weimar Republic. DEI has fostered a mindset of immutable Victimhood based on racist groupings of people, Middle Eastern immigrants to USA do not embrace and honor America's founding ideals. Okay, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. Understand America's founding ideals. All men and women are created equal, to be treated with equal dignity. All have God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, individual freedom. What matters is content of character, not color of skin. That's an American truth. America's founding ideals are right. Americans must defend their heritage. And on TDS goes WAPO mainstream. That was kind of a mouthful. Trump derangement syndrome goes Washington Post mainstream. WAPO publishes an op-ed by a deep stater essentially calling for the CIA to assassinate Trump. Now, they don't say that, but it is like that message is someone's got to take this guy out. I didn't even read you all the language. If you read the article, you'll see he came very close to calling out someone's got to take this guy out. Core message, Trump will win in 2024. Imposed dictatorship. Democracy will be lost, so stop him. This is pure projection. The existing deep state Biden cabal is imposing dictatorship now. Rig the 2020 election against the will of the voters. Remember the 51 intelligence agency officials who lied about Hunter Biden's laptop? Remember the destruction of constitutional safeguards on voting? All justified by what increasingly looks like a constructed pandemic. Set up in 2016, a government military censorship apparatus. I didn't get to this story. I'll quickly tell you about it here. 
Set up in 2016, there was a government military censorship apparatus to prevent the American people from knowing anything besides approved left-wing narratives, destroying the right to free speech, is surveilling the American people, identifying concerned parents and Catholic parishioners as domestic terrorists. This was set up by your government, my friends, is persisting in the January 6th insurrection fraud in order to threaten and jail political opponents, has concocted bogus legal proceedings to threaten Trump political opposition. The American people instinctively know the truth. That's why the deep state is increasingly desperate. That, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Because I'm running for RNC committee woman for the great state of Texas, I urge you to check out my website. It is Debbie G, it is D-E-B-B-I-E-G, Debbie G for the digit for RNC.com, Debbie G for RNC.com. Check out my uh, webpage. I love your endorsement. I love your donation. It costs money to run this campaign. would love to have your support. Um, I also will tell you that on Thursday shows, we have wonderful guests every single Thursday, and, uh, and we have in-studio audience. So this Thursday, uh, we have Linda McMahon. She was, she's a premier uh, leader in U.S. Uh, as an executive of uh, women um, running a country, a company. She also was in the, the uh, Trump administration. She was the administrator of small business, small business administrator. She's also the chairman of the board of the AFPI, America First Policy Institute. So she's a, a rock star player, insider with the Trump team. Uh, she'll be here in person on Thursday. Following week, we have Sidney Powell joining us in studio. Uh, she has a lot going on, and would uh, you'll love to hear from her. Um, and the following week, we have Texas Agricultural Commissioner Sid Miller, and he's going to come and tell you. He's a he he does way more than agriculture. Let me just say he's a great guest also. So three great Thursdays lined up. I thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Right now I say every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you hear America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you